John Sherman goes to sleep every night thinking, who gives a shit about what Mike and Mark Mead want? <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly after a huge walk-off win from the Royals. Carlos, Carlos, Carlos. Uh, 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 uh. Winning, you know, it's like better than losing. And yeah, so, you know, it feels, feels real good right now. Uh, I'm your host, Marcus Mead. And with me as always, a man who claims total eclipse of the heart was just a ripoff of his song, Solar Shadow of Love. Didn't know that, but it's true. Would have been a hit. Would have been a hit. Would have been a hit. I'm pretty sure that song came out either before we were born or when we were infants. Um, so anyway, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about last week, as always, uh, review what was an excellent week for the Royals. We're going to answer some listener questions for our very first mailbag, and we're going to preview the games coming up this week, a, a mixed bag of a really tough series, followed by a series that should be not as tough as it seemed like it would be originally against the Twins. So first, Mike, I got to ask you, because you were able to attend a game at Kauffman Stadium for the first time in over a year in what was a lost season last year. What was it like to get back out to the stadium and experience uh, a good baseball game in, in summertime? Well, in short, it was magnificent. A uh, little backstory. My wife and I often go to Kauffman Stadium for our anniversary. This year, we were joined by uh, two of our very good friends, Eric and Cassie. It's also their anniversary. So we went out there for Friday night's game. It was buck night. Things were going great. And then Mike Matheny sent Mike Miner out there for the seventh and <laughs> Miggy ruined my life. Like he's done for like what, 15 years, however long he's been with the tigers. Uh, but buck night was good. So I got to ease my pain with dollar hot dogs. That was nice. Eat, eat those feelings, buddy. Just eat them. I did. I did. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to get back out there heading back soon. Uh, so hopefully I'll get a chance to get out to one of those games. But uh, let's talk a little bit about last week. We'll start with a little roster news from last week. The Royals acquired a relief pitcher named Domingo Tapia from Seattle for cast considerations. This is more of a depth move than anything. You probably won't see Tapia throwing a lot of innings at the major league level. They sent him to to AAA to start. Really kind of a, they need bullpen arms. They need arms in general because their starters haven't given them a ton this year. And there's just going to be a lot of innings to fill with guys who haven't thrown a lot of innings in the last year. So a little bit of a depth move there. We'll see what Tapia can offer, but he does throw pretty hard uh, from the right side. So we'll see if they can harness that and uh, find him a little success at the major league level. Uh, and in sort of a corresponding move, they placed Jesse Hahn on the 60 day injured list. Hahn, if you don't know, was at a rehab start in Omaha when he got pulled after like one hitter because he felt something in his shoulder again. It's they call it shoulder impingement. Um, so he's now on the 60 day injured list. That's a huge blow for him. I know uh, that's got to be really tough to sort of fight your way back. And then bam, you get put on the 60 day IL. Um, and it may be that depending on how long this ends up lasting, that may be the last pitch Jesse Hans ever thrown for the Royals. Like, and so uh, hopefully he gets a chance to get back maybe for the end of the year, put himself on showcase for other teams or for the Royals to re-sign him or something like that. Hunter Dozier has started his rehab assignment. Uh, which is nice. He had a nice hard double to right center the other night. Uh, really good to see him going the other way. So that, so that's sort of uh, where we're at in terms of uh, players on the roster. He's also joined by Adebayo Mondesi, who looks like he's really close to coming back as well. Yeah, it was good to see Dozier take that pitch the other way. Still a little bit worried about the high heat popping those up because he's done that a couple times as well. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to just happen today that's a little bit scary, Jonathan Boland got taken out of his start in Northwest Arkansas today. I think after 10 pitches, I think he'd struck out two guys already 
but then came out. So that's scary because uh, he is a yeah. good, good, good prospect that I think a lot of people were going to start to hear about very shortly. Yeah, that is a little bit of a disappointment. I heard he was holding his side. He was like touching his side, like maybe oblique or something yeah. like that. But we'll see. Hopefully he, uh, it, it uh, is something that can be a little more short term and not, not anything long term for him. Last week, the Royals went four and one in a short week where they only had five games. That brings their overall record to 22 and 23, just one game under 500. Who would have thought that after that 11 game losing streak, they'd be crawling their way back to 500 very shortly. So chance to get back to 500 in this race series coming up. I feel like last week looks a lot different if they don't pull off the win that they got today. I feel like if they don't pull, if Santana doesn't hit his home run to walk off the game, we're probably talking about oh, missed opportunities this last week but they won it, which means they won the series. And of course they took the Brewers series really, really looks like an excellent week as a result. I'm not sure that's really the case because we beat two really good pitchers for the Brewers who pitched really well too. It was crazy. Woodruff looked phenomenal and Burns looked maybe better. So, I mean, they're, they, I, I was like, we played about as good as we can in those two games to win. So. Yeah, but anytime you're losing a series to the Tigers, that's going to be like a real stick. That's yeah. going to that's going to hurt you, and that's what that's what would have happened if they'd have lost today. To to back up that great two short two game Brewer series by losing a series to the Tigers, the second series in a row you would lose to them. That that would just really, I think, jab at us a little bit. Even though we would have, you know, yeah. taken three games from this week, I'm glad that we were end up to, able to take four and sort of beat the team that we should because we should beat the Tigers regularly and then also grab a couple wins against two really good pitchers for the Brewers. And it happened on the back of some really strong performances this week. Mike, I know you've been excited about the way Kelvin Gutierrez has played uh, both at third and at the plate. Yeah. Uh, so he had a great week. He just came up. We talked a little bit about him last week. He's an older kind of prospect. So I don't know that you expect him to be a superstar by any means, but, and he's not, even this week, he has not been, driving the ball for power and things, but he's just been getting on base and getting hits and contributing. And that's kind of what you want to see from a guy who's getting his, not his first time in major league baseball, but uh, maybe his first sustained innings in major league baseball. He hit 538 this week, had an OBP of 571. So I think he took one walk and then slugged 615. So he had an OPS over one, which you love to see anytime uh, he played. He's been playing He plays a solid third base. He's probably, you know, between AAA and the majors, he's probably our best third baseman. And he did have one throwing error, but I think he even played a little first base today in the last inning when they put Hanser Alberto in, pinch hit him. I think Alberto went to third and Gutierrez went to first, but he's, he's a solid player. I wanted to get him in here and recognize that it's good to see a guy coming up and contributing defensively because we needed it. And then offensively, because it looks like he can. Yeah, I think Gutierrez is going to be a solid third baseman, solid corner infielder. He does play first sometimes down in Omaha, and he's the type of guy who this team could really use because, honestly, Dozier's not a great third baseman. Alberto's an okay third baseman, but Gutierrez is a real third baseman. He, he, he knows what he's doing at third base. He almost put down a beautiful bunt today, too. He, 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 but he's the type of guy who, even though he's a big guy and can hit the ball really hard, still feels really comfortable doing the little things. And, and sort of he came up as a shortstop, and I think he sort of sees himself as a middle infielder in some ways, I think. I would love to see him get more loft on the ball. That's the weird thing about him. If, if, he's, if he could hit the ball in the air more, you're talking about a major league regular. But the problem is he hits a lot of ground balls and right now they're going through and that's great. 
but they won't continue to go through the whole year. And so it's good to see him stay hot right now. Um, hopefully that continues and hopefully he keeps contributing because I'd love to see him stay up rather than uh, when, when Dozier comes back, rather than say, keep keeping Ryan O'Hearn on the roster or something like that. Another guy who sort of carried, helped carry. I'm going to say he carried because he was huge this week. Yeah. Uh, was Andrew Benintendi again, just sort of continually finding ways to pick up teammates, to do the things that are necessary to bring runs across or to score runs. That doesn't mean he never makes a mistake. He made a base running mistake again today. It drove me crazy. He, he really needs to learn to not get thrown out on the base paths. That's a huge thing for him. But he's he was five for 15 this week with not a lot of power, but he just, again, he's coming up big in these specific moments. He uh, In the game on Saturday, he kept hitting, he hit after Solaire. And he kept, they kept hitting with run, runners on base and Solaire would like strike out or hit an infield pop, pop up. up or something. Ugh. Yeah. And Benintendi would come up right behind him and pick him up and knock those runs in. You know, like that's, that's what he's been doing. He's just, whenever they need him to do something, he does it. And it's in a big spot. And it was, it was that way again this week. And it ultimately led to the four wins that they got. He played a big part in the game today as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's great to see that trade really paying off for the Royals. It'll be interesting to see if they look to move him, if they decide to keep him, he's only on contract through uh, 2022. Yeah. So it's a question mark, whether or not you want to get the most value you can out of him and trade him while you're probably not going to contend or just hold on to him and try and contend next year with him. Tough question. Yeah. A few people didn't light the world on fire this week. A few people struggled as always is the case. Uh, I'm going to bring up a guy who, <laughs> We've actually uh, you know, praised. I've, we've praised a You've lot on, some this, good on this show. About we've this praised guy. a bunch. And I was really skeptical when they brought him in, mostly because of the hazing stuff that was talked about when he was with the Cardinals. But it seems like that's not an issue anymore. And he's very much uh, not the old school manager he was in St. Louis. And I'm talking about Mike Matheny, of course. When he leaves Mike Miner in for the seventh, even though Miner had struggled through six innings, was only gave up two runs, but he wasn't pitching well. Sends Miner back out for the seventh. That's mistake number one. Miner gives up two quick singles, and he decides to go to Tyler Zuber with a two-run lead in the seventh. There were no outs, and they had an off day the day before. And so, like, almost everyone was available in the bullpen. He said Stamont wasn't because Stamont had pitched four of the last six days or something like that. Fine. But Greg Barlow was available. Jake Brents was available. Kyle Zimmer was available. Everybody was available, except Greg for maybe Josh Stamont. Greg, Greg Holland. Holland was. He came in though, and he's the one that gave up the grand slam. Well, so that's why mistake one was bringing in or was letting Miner pitch the seventh. Give Tyler Zuber that clean inning, and I think he does fine. But mistake to send Miner back out, and then a mistake to pitch your sixth or seventh best re- reliever when in this high leverage situation. In the seventh, when there's two on, nobody out, and you're only up two runs, you don't send in your sixth or seventh best reliever. You send in your first or second best reliever. Mm-hmm. Okay. The notion we, we've been praising Matheny because he hasn't been having this old school mentality of, oh, our best reliever has to pitch the last inning. That's a ridiculous notion, right? That is ridiculous. Send in your best reliever when the, the other team is most likely to score runs. And they were most likely to score runs when they had two on and nobody out in the seventh. So they should have sent out, if Stamont wasn't available, they should have sent out Barlow or, or Brent's. But really, they shouldn't have sent Miner out. They should have started Zuber with a clean inning, and he would have been fine, I'm thinking. But was really unhappy with that decision. Not great. And Matheny keeps starting Ryan O'Hearn as well. I hope that ends soon. That was, yeah. O'Hearn's, O'Hearn's batting average just keeps sinking like the Titanic. And so 
it's only a matter of time, I would think, unless Matheny's or unless uh, O'Hearn has some like dirt on Matheny or something, blackmail well, photos. I don't know. But and here's the thing: I, I, we saw what we saw on Friday night, which was extremely disappointing. But then today, you look at the lineup, and I go, "This might be one of our worst defensive lineups we can put out there." You got Solaire in right and O'Hearn at first. It's like, and that which puts you know, Wit at second. You're like. Okay, that's not a great defensive lineup. And I know guys need rest, and you want to rest guys day after a night game or whatever. What we need to do is give Witt a day off. You know, he could benefit from a friggin' day off. And why does Jorge Soler have to play right field? Get him give out Salvador of there. Perez a day off. Yeah. Salvador Perez has not had a full day off, I think, all season. Yeah, he's he's exactly. had half days yeah, where he DHs. Been, I'm worried yeah. he's going to break down any moment now. Well, and, right? and we and saw so, his numbers this week dip. And I'm going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, they did. Uh, that transitions very well into our next one. The, the player that I'm going to be talking about struggling this week is Salvador Perez. And, you know, we love Salvador Perez, obviously. Uh, and he's did a lot for this team offensively early in the year when some other guys were not doing anything. But he struggled this week. He was three for 16. He had no walks, six strikeouts. I think he had one extra base hit. But that may be a function of the fact that he plays every single day as a catcher, as a what 30 over 30 year old catcher. Okay. A big catcher too. So give him a full day off, you know, don't make him DH one day. Cam Gallagher has played pretty well. I think behind the, behind the plate offensively, he's just Cam Gallagher, but behind the plate, he's done really well. Yeah. One of those days he's catching sounding to just be out of the lineup and put Solaire at DH and have a good defensive lineup that day. There you go. Yeah, I think I think that's a great plan. I think they're just they're going to pay the price for this later in the season, and they're they might pay the price for it in a big way, right? So Salvador Perez has an injury history. It's not like the guy is constantly healthy, and so one of the reasons that these things happen is because you catch a guy, you play a guy every single day, you play him every single day, his body starts to break down. That and then that sometimes reflects in poor performance, but sometimes it means he gets hurt, and so he's got the he had the groin strain like a week ago. Um, and so he was just DHing and not catching. And I think Matheny thinks that's a day off, but it's not a full day off. You still have to prepare. You still have to swing. You still have to run the bases, you know, like it's not a full day off. The guy needs some full days off. He's over 30 now. He's big. Like you said, do you want him to last, you know, for another two or three years catching, then you better give him some time off because catching, you know, being in the lineup for 155 games or you catch 130 of them and DH the other 20 that's a recipe for disaster, but you know, it was a positive week this week. It was ultimately a um, successful week where they got four wins. I feel like they could have gotten the fifth if Matheny doesn't blow a couple decisions in that Friday game. But uh, Mike, what was your ultimate takeaway from this week? What are you sort of taking away as a theme? Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to shout out a coworker here named Suzanne, a good friend of mine at work. She kept using the word mercurial and I didn't know what it <laughs> meant. So I had to have her explain it to me, <laughs> but that's what I'm thinking. Like, hey, mercurial means you're basically up and down like mercury in a thermometer was how she explained it to me. And so that's kind of how I feel, not just about the team this week, but for the year so far. Like really up and down and you're like, man, this is a good baseball team. And then you're like, gosh, they're not very good, are they? So it feels like up and down. You might say a fancy word for inconsistent, but I think it's a little different than inconsistency. But yeah, mercurial was the theme of the week for me. Yeah, I'm going to get you some word of the day toilet paper, buddy, so you can uh, expand the vocabulary of yours, okay? Uh, I'm, my theme for the week was the upside down. So I'm a big Stranger Things fan. I love the show Stranger Things. Too and scary. Too scary. Oof, man, that thing is scary. Uh-uh. 
I love it's not even scary. That's not it's, it's a little scary. scary, but it's not scary at all. So if you if you watch Stranger Things, you know that the upside down is basically like a a, ref, a world that is re- reflects our world, but is but is terrible. And so what I thought was like, oh, uh, this week was a little upside down because the Royals come out and really controlled those games against the Brewers. They 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 beat Woodruff, they beat Burns. They looked like they were playing top-notch baseball in those two games and then they come out and they play the tigers a team that is not as good as the royals that does not have two dominant starters going like the brewers were and they don't look as good like they didn't look great today they got lucky a little bit when santana hit that walk off they didn't look great on friday they were getting owned Um, by mize they were getting uh, for six seven innings getting owned by by casey mize which you know it there's just moments for me where it feels like the Royals look really, really good against some really good teams like the White Sox or the Brewers or whoever. And then they play a team like the Tigers and they look like they've never seen a baseball before. They're like, what's this thing? I don't know. Uh, and so they got beat up by the twins too, have the worst record in baseball. Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's sort of, it sort of loops in with your mercur- mercur- I can't even say the word with your mercurial theme, right? Like they are up and down, but in ways that are weird to me, it would be one thing if they like, okay, they did well against the Tigers, but then they looked not great against the Brewers. They, they play the White Sox and they get killed, but then they go ahead and kill the Twins. But that's not what they do. They do the exact opposite of that. It's the upside down. They do the flip side of that. They play really well against the good teams, not as well against the bad teams. Uh, and so it's just an interesting note as I sort of look at how the Royals perform throughout the year, that that's something that they frequently do. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during virtually every game so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. We absolutely love the listeners of Royals Weekly, so we want to be able to speak directly to the thoughts, issues, and topics you're interested in. So today, for the first time ever, we're doing a mailbag segment. We solicited questions through various channels and you all were generous enough to provide some really interesting ones, but you don't need to wait for a mailbag to send us questions. You can reach out to us at Royals Weekly on Twitter or Facebook anytime you have questions. You can also email us at royalsweeklypod at gmail.com or leave us a question or review like a listener did a couple of weeks ago. If, you have, if we have time, we'll address your question on the show. But for today, we specifically asked for questions. You gave them to us. And so we're going to talk about them on the show. Our first question comes from a very old and dear friend of ours, Travis, and he was wondering with all this uh, no hitters happening this year, would we attribute the increase in no hitters to stronger pitching and defense or to weaker hitting on the part of hitters? Mike, what are your thoughts on why offense is so down and why we keep seeing so many no hitters this year? Well, my thought, and this is one that I actually don't hear ordinary fans talking about a lot, but the people who watch a ton of baseball are talking about this. I think it's an advance in pitching. I think People are throwing harder. We have better secondary pitches. The analysis of what gets hitters out is better than it's ever been. And that's why you're seeing more strikeouts. That's why you see more games where guys aren't getting hits. I mean, it's that simple. Um, I think a lot of people will talk about this as a hitter approach issue where it's like, oh, guys are okay striking out if they can hit home runs. Well, home runs are down too. So I, I think it's more about the advances in pitching the fact that you're getting more arms that throw harder than we've ever seen before. I think that that will lead to no hitters because you're not going to throw a no hitter. 
if you can't strike people out. It's that simple. Yeah. I think people have also mentioned the change in the baseball. So if you don't know, before the start of the season, Major League Baseball made changes to the ball in order to prevent all these home runs being hit. They were thinking, we want more balls in play. We want more action going on in the game. So they changed the ball to make it a little less dynamic. So the ball won't take off and carry as much. There wasn't an, an, an unanticipated downside to this, which is that the ball now has more movement on it. And so pitchers can actually make it move a little bit more. And so there, the home runs are going down, right? Like, like was intended, but also strikeouts are going up because the ball's moving more pitchers still throw really hard. And like Mike said, advances in pitcher training in pitcher metrics and analysis make it just so it's really, really tough to hit these days. You got guys out there throwing 95 mile an hour cutters. That's insane. You wouldn't even think about that. Did you see who the Tigers brought in today? The last two pitchers they had throw. That lefty was throwing a hundred. I know Soto. Yeah. yeah, He was was nuts. There are so many guys who are just out there throwing reliever. (laughs) Yeah. Throwing 97, 98, 99, a hundred now. And that's because advances in training have showed us that it's easier or that, that pitchers can gain velocity with certain types of training. And so they do right guys gain velocity in the professional ranks a lot more now than they used to. And so you got have guys thrown so much harder with more movement, And then I'm going to throw out another reason that might seem a little interesting and a little bit uh, scandalous a little bit here. If you didn't read it, Ken, Ken Rosenthal came out with a report in the athletic this week talking about pitchers doctoring baseballs. Apparently it's a big problem in major league baseball that pitchers are doctoring baseballs. And I don't know if, if any of you follow me on Twitter, I actually pointed this out a couple of weeks ago, the Royals were playing the white Sox, and Lucas Giolito kept going to his cap after every single pitch. And this is what they're doing. They're putting substances either on their forearms, in their gloves, on their caps, and then they're sort of loading the ball up. And that changes the texture and shape of the ball, which either, which creates more spin usually. Right. And so they're, it's kind of like an open secret that a lot of pitchers do this and umpires for some reason are not enforcing it at all. Right. They're not like, you know, they're, they're collecting balls. They're saying they're collecting balls through analysis to see if, doctoring the ball is a problem, but none of them are saying like, Oh, I see you doctoring that ball, or let me look at your glove or anything like that. And really it's only something that they would do if managers say, Hey, I want you to look at that guy's glove, but no manager does that because their own guy is doing it too. (laughs) And so, (laughs) so there's no incentive for anybody to sort of like enforce these rules about doctoring the ball, except for hitters who have no power in the situation. So you have a bunch of hitters out there hitting 230, and there's really nothing they can do about it. Yeah, it's almost like a collective thing against them. Like, hey, let's all gang up on the hitters, by the way, because we don't want them to hit. Who was the guy I'm thinking of? He pitched for Seattle, but he always had pine tar on his forearm. Always. Mm. Pitched for the Not Yankees James Paxton? No. Oh, oh um, I, uh, was it uh, Pineda? Yes, yes. Everybody knew. And I think he actually did get called out in a game for that. But, you know, sunscreen on the forearm. I mean, guys sunscreen use so and much rosin, stuff. Hair yeah. gel. Yeah, uh, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's you know, they you might think as you're watching a game that it doesn't happen that much because they change the ball out every single pitch, it almost seems like. Anytime a ball gets put in play, it gets thrown out. But then watch what the pitcher does after he gets that ball. He's going to go through his routine and his routine probably involves going to his cap, his forehead, his forearm somewhere to get whatever he's got and put it on the ball. <laughs> so yeah, or yeah I'd like to the see ball's got to go into his glove. 
That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you you know, what if the substance on his glove? Like, yeah. Uh, so yeah, they find a way to load up a ball if they want to load up a ball. Um, and so that's at least a, I would say a contributing factor to why you see offense solo. It really does take multiple things to get the offense down to where it is right now and advances in pitching, doctoring the baseball and a baseball that has been dejuiced in some ways that all sort of is combining to some of the worst offensive numbers you'll ever see and a ton of no hitters from guys who frankly should not throw no hitters. Our next question comes from a, a Twitter follower and listener named Justin Jacobson. At least that's his Twitter handle. I assume that's his real name. But maybe it's not. Maybe he's th- throwing that an is a really creative Twitter handle. <laughs> hey, you know that what? isn't his name. <laughs> you want to you want to keep him guessing. You come up with a very benign just Twitter handle, you know, fake like, name. Yeah. My name's Bob Jenkins, you know, like, <laughs> ah, but it's actually not. Um, and so, yeah, Justin Jacobs asks us uh, would be interested, says he, he'd be interested to hear who our favorite prospect is at each level. And so we'll do a little prospect talk. Uh, Mikey, who are your favorite? I think we have to qualify with the end of his question. He does not mean the who we think the best prospect is at each level, who we just like, you know? Yeah. Um, and for me, if we go in low A there, uh, we're starting with Brady McConnell. And I've talked about him several times on this podcast. He is an athletic, who knows what, shortstop, center fielder, who knows? But he's really athletic and he has power. And so he's been hitting okay so far this year. Uh, good to see him at least get to play a lot because he got drafted, I think in 19, 18 or 19, 19, 19, and didn't get to play last year. So, uh, good to see him get some consistent ABs. If we go to high a Vinny Pasquantino. All right. That's a name right there. I love Pasquantino, man, because get this, and this is interesting. Vinny Pasquantino this year, he only has 10 hits. Okay. Six of them are home runs. He hit his seventh today. Oh, I thought, I, I thought his, he got his sixth he, today. He had his seventh. No, he today? had his seventh today. Oh yeah. my gosh, way to go, him! And he has one double. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> eight of his eleven hits are extra for extra bases. Um, so he does have pop, and I think the and he walks like just as much as he strikes out. So that's always good. So he's got like ten walks too. So the, you know, I think the batting average will come up as as we keep going too. But he's an interesting guy. Going to Double uh, A is a guy that. I'm kind of some recency bias kind of stuff here. Nick Prado is absolutely killing it. Boiling um, lava hot. Yeah, <laughs> boiling lava. Have you seen a turnaround as far as prospect status goes like this? I, I have never seen I've never seen prospect status change as much as it has for Nick Prado. And it was like up because the Royals drafted him in the top five or ten. Mm, uh, top fifteen, I think. Top at least. fifteen, maybe something. He was our, our first pick one year, first baseman out of high school. And everybody's like, oh, he's an advanced level hitter for a high schooler. He's going to develop some power, all these things. And then he gets to Wilmington when, when they were our affiliate and has one of the worst years you'll ever see somebody have hitting a baseball. And then they're talking about him last year at the alternate site, like he, something has changed and he's doing great, and, but nobody really knows because you can't see any of this. And he comes out in spring training and just starts killing it. And now at double A, he's just killing again. He had three home runs in one game the other day and then followed up the next day with another home run. Uh, He's just murdering it. And so the reason I picked him over some really other interesting guys at double A is he is in a spot that the Royals really need to. We're not deep there at first, especially unless you want to take guys from other places. Just a note on that Northwest Arkansas team that Prado is playing for right now. Every single one of the major or interesting prospects on that team right now is boiling lava hot. They are scoring like 14 runs a game in the series they're in right now because Prado is crushing home runs. Melendez is crushing home runs. Bobby Witt is crushing home runs. They are just all raking 
in Arkansas right now. So if you get a chance to turn on an, a minor league baseball game, see if you can turn on Northwest Arkansas because it is a fireworks show there right now. Yeah, and you and I, I think, are going to go down and catch one of those at the end of June. Yeah, I can't wait. I hope they're still time. there. <laughs> yeah. Car- the last for Omaha, this was a really tough one. I almost went with uh, Olivares, Edward Olivares, who's absolutely boiling lava hot as well, and I'm just tortured by the fact that I don't know that they'll have an opportunity to bring him up. Um, but I went with Carlos Hernandez because he's a guy whose stuff maybe I like watching more than just about anybody else. And I watched Coar's last start, and that was impressive. But Carlos Hernandez, when his stuff is as good as it can be, is so fun to watch. You're talking about an above-average curveball with an above-average changeup with a 99-mile-per-hour fastball. It's just so good to watch. Now, when he's not on and it's not good, it can look pretty bad. But when he's on, man, he's good. Yeah. Uh, I'll start at double or at uh, low A as well uh, with Ryland Kaufman. You may not have heard of him. He um, he got drafted in 2018 along with all those other pitchers, but he was a, a different sort of guy. He was coming out of junior college. He spent one year at junior college, got drafted at 19 uh, by the Royals in that 2018 draft. And I was super excited about him because, you know, he was a lefty. He had, uh, he was still young, a lot of development potential through a good fastball in the low to mid nineties. But I was like, okay, here's a guy who can still grow and has a lot of potential. Unfortunately, he's been hurt quite a bit in his young professional career and the pandemic happened and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm just interested to see him pitch in low A. I want to, I just want to see him get innings in. I want to see him stay healthy. I watched some video of him the other day. He looked really good in his last outing as he sort of gets back to pitching in competitive games. Um, And so I'm excited to see, he has really good command and I'm just excited to see him continue to develop as he sort of gets comfortable pitching in competitive settings again. And I hope he stays healthy. That's what I'm really looking for. At high A, I think everybody who follows me on Twitter knew who I would choose at high A, and that is my boy, Jimmy Govern. The governor. The the governor, if you will. (laughs) Uh, He just rakes all the time. And what's funny about him is nobody has any expectations for him. Like he's, if he has a tool, it's a hit tool and that's it. No, No speed, no power. He just goes out and gets hits and helps when people win baseball games. Johnny Giovatella. Uh, maybe that's not a bad comparison. Actually, he might be a better defender than Giovatella. Giovatella was a below average defender. Uh, Govern might be average at second anyway, but the weird thing about Govern is he just goes out and comes up with clutch hits and his teams win. And so he's at high A right now. And quad cities is like 10 and two on the year or two and two or 12 and two. They're killing it. Uh, and so I love Jimmy Govern. He's just a fun guy to interact with. Uh, and his family seems to interact with me on Twitter a lot too, which is a lot of fun. At Double A, we've talked about them a little bit, loaded with talent. I'm going to go with a guy who's a little under the radar. That's my boy, Rudy Martin. If you don't know who Rudy Martin is, go watch Northwest Arkansas game. He'll be the one flying all over the field because Rudy Martin is super fast and he makes stuff happen. He's really exciting. Think Gerard Dyson. That's his mold. He's a Gerard Dyson type player. And so... He's got, he, at one point he had what I would call like blazing speed, maybe 70, 75 grade speed. It might be closer to 65. He's had quite a few leg injuries in his, in his career. And that might be slowing him down just a tick. I mean, he's still super fast, but just a tick less fast than he used to be maybe. And he's learned how to hit seemingly he's been hitting. He's got an OPS over one at this point. He's just finding ways. He's not like a ground ball punch and Judy guy. He's got a little bit of pop for a guy who's only like five, eight 
150. I mean, he's not big at all, but he, he yeah. actually has some muscle packed into his body. So he's just a lot of fun a, to watch. Yeah. I saw him hit a triple the other day and he got around those things. Like, I mean, it was crazy. Triples bunts. He'll hit a home run every now and again. He threw a guy out from center at third today. Uh, and oh, just yeah. like a lot of fun to watch, just a lot of fun to watch play baseball. So he's 25. Hopefully I'd like to see him get a chance as a fourth outfielder in the majors someday. I think he could be really valuable for a team because he does do the little things fairly well. And he walks a lot, but he does strike out a little more than he should. Uh, my triple a guy is going to be my boy. The guy I've been sort of cheering on since he got drafted. And that's Jackson Coar. Uh, I wrote a write up for Royals farm report grading that draft, that 2018 draft. And in it, I predicted that Kowar had the best chance to be a frontline starter of all the guys they drafted. That's because I loved his changeup a lot. Obviously, it's great. The other night, he went out and proved to me why he could still be the best chance to have for them to have a frontline starter. Last night, he pitched. Was it last night or the night before? I want to say it was last uh, night. I think it was last night, yeah. He shoved for, for Omaha. I mean, he just went out and dominated. Something yeah. like six innings, 10 strikeouts. His curveball was working. His fastball was working. His changeup was working. They just couldn't touch him. He did give up a run. That was basically the like first, the timing yeah. of certain hits. It was like a bloop single and a, and a double in the gap and they're unscored. Um, but other than that, he was just dotting the fastball, dotting the curveball. Guys were looking silly on the changeup. It looked really, really good. And it sort of convinced me and I think you as well that he's probably as ready as he's going to be to come up to the major leagues and see what he has there. So Yeah, and watching that Iowa Cubs line up against him and listening to their announcer, it was like this, they just have no chance. They did not have a chance against the curveball, especially was really good. And you and I have talked about how much we like his curveball, but I mean, every pitch he wanted, I mean, he was doing whatever he wanted and he looked confident and yeah, it was awesome to see by far the best I've seen him throw in his short career. Yeah, 60-grade curveball last night. It was really, really good. Mm -hmm. um, if, if that thing's going that way and he's locating it and his changeup is as good as it is, and he was throwing with like a an even pitch mix last night. It was 30%. It was roughly 33% fastballs, 33% curveballs, 33% changeups for the most part. At least that's what it looked like. I don't have like a statistical breakdown, but it looked like he was evenly mixing his pitches, and that's what he needs to do because he can't be a fastball-dominant kind of guy. For our next question, we'll uh, go to a listener whose Twitter handle is John Pettimore, which I think is, I think that's the name of the narrator in one of Mike's favorite songs, Copperhead Road. Yeah, John so Lee Pettimore, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing that's not his actual name, but uh, kudos to the to the uh, Copperhead Road, to the Steve Earle reference. I just love I it. I love Steve Earle. I love, love Steve Earle. Earle. He's fan. amazing. But he asks us a broadcasting question, and that is, which is worse, tuning in on the game to hear HUD and Fizz or seeing them too? And so to me, I took this as a question of like, what makes a good sports broadcaster and why are you not huge fans of HUD and Fizz? Mike, I'm going to let you start off on that one. Well, okay. So let me, let me put it this way. Fizz and HUD are good for a certain type of fan. Yes. They are good for a fan that casually watches baseball games. And they might even be so good for that fan that they get them to casually watch more baseball games. Okay. Because those fans are tuning in for fun. They're tuning in like, Hey, I'm going to, Oh, that's funny. Like I want to do that. Um, they are not there for you and me. They are not there for people who are listening to this podcast. Probably if you take time out of your week to listen to a weekly Royals podcast, they're probably not your guys because they do not dive into some of the more analytic parts of the game. 
some of the more complex decision-making in the game, and they will never, ever be critical of the Royals. They just don't do that. If they did, they probably wouldn't have a job. I was going to say, they know who writes their paychecks. Because Frank White was a little critical at one point, and they kicked him out of there real quick. So yeah, all I do, though, what I do is I really just, here's another word of the day somebody had to explain to me. I think it was you explained to me what this word was one time. Juxtapose. Go put on the White Sox TV broadcast with um, Steve Stone and the other guy who's even better than Steve Stone. And I'm blanking on his name right now. Benetti. His last name is Benetti. They are good. They are damn good. And they are professionals at it. And they will sit there and say, analyze the game and say what, what the White Sox are doing well and be critical when they need to be critical of them. And it is a top-level broadcast meant for fans, I think, more like you or me. Or at least it yeah. works for fans more like you and me. Yeah, I'll take a, I'll take a bland bot broadcast over a HUD and Fizz broadcast because I'm not in it for like the showmanship. I don't want to see like a personality up there, like just sort of doing a bit or a, who has a shtick. HUD has a shtick and I'm not interested in HUD shtick. And so I'm interested in the baseball game. And yeah. so and I want ha- a broadcast. Like Hawk Harrelson. Ask yourself yeah. this. Did you like it when Hawk Harrelson? I hated Hawk Sox Harrelson. Broadcast? I don't like him either. And he's a legend in the in broadcasting and that he worked really well for those White Sox fans for years and years and years and years and years. Not my thing. Not my thing either. I don't want that. I don't, I don't need it. I want to learn more about the game. And I feel like HUD and Fizz don't teach me any more about the game than I already know. Uh, and so, and sometimes, in fact, say things that I know to be not true about the game. Right. And that's what really kills me is that I cannot tell you how frequently Fizioc or Hudler say things about the game that are blatantly untrue. Like they are just not true. And so, or, or they show that they're trying to talk about, and, and I should give, maybe give them credit for trying to speak on new aspects of, of baseball, like launch angle and exit velocity and things like that. And trying to talk about them in intelligent ways, but they do it incorrectly all the time. And so you know, your job is sports broadcaster. It's what you do every single day. You should have a better understanding of these things than I do, but they don't. And so it, it bothers me a little bit. You know, I, I think about like, I went to journalism school. I took broadcasting classes, you know, all the things they tell you to do in those classes, those two don't do right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they talk about the players, like they're their best friends. They do all these sort of, it's just, it's stuff that gets under my skin and I, and I don't, I don't like it. Um, give me a bland prep. Pre- professional broadcast over that like what listen to a minor league game or watch a minor league game and you'll hear what is sort of a a very straightforward call of a game and i love that it sounds very good right it's just somebody calling the game they might drop in tidbits here and there about the players and things like that and that's great but i'll take that over sort of a show that they're trying to put on to entertain the audience i don't i don't want that from my broadcasters and 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 this is nothing against them personally from everything i've heard they are wonderful human beings and honestly, it probably makes more sense for the Royals to have two guys like that drawing in the casual fan and not worry mm-hmm. about what Mike and Mark want from, from their broadcast. Exactly. Because we're going to watch the product either way. We're going to anyway, watch it. I mean, they, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think John Sherman goes to sleep every night thinking, who gives a shit about what Mike and Mark Mead want? Nobody. <laughs> probably does. I um, hope he does. He does. <laughs> Uh, our next question he comes. My name. He <laughs> knows who we are. Yay. Okay. We have to leave now. <laughs> um, so our, our next question will come from a, a dearly, a uh, dear friend, uh, a wonderful human being, a guy oh, named okay. Miller, who we love. No, Him. sorry. There we go. We a different question. <laughs> Miller, you're Mike's wife now. Um, yeah, hey, I, I love you, Miller. Let's do it. 
so yeah, it comes from a guy named Miller. We just call him Miller. Uh, he has a first name, but I, I'm not going to learn it. Um, and so he asked, is the second half schedule tougher for the Royals? And if so, what effect might that have on the team? Um, so I did some deep, deep, deep analysis on this. Uh, you sent me a link to a website called Power Rankings Guru that basically does an index for the strength of schedule for the games that you have played and the strength of schedule for the games that you have yet to play. And according to that, the Royals have a, actually a slightly easier schedule moving forward. And I could have just thrown that out there to the listener, but no, this is for the hardcore fan. All right. So I went we go and deep I actually here. looked at the schedule post all-star break. Cause that's usually what people are meaning when they say the second half after the all-star break, although it's not evenly broken up into two halves. Um, but I went and I looked after that all-star break and there is some things to be concerned about because just after the all-star break, a couple weeks after the all-star break will come the trade deadline. And that might be an important time for the Royals. Uh, one though, likely, I mean, assuming things kind of go the way, the way that they've been going, we'll be looking to deal some players. They've got certain people that are certainly trade candidates, Michael A. Taylor, Jorge Soler, Andrew Benintendi, maybe even Carlos Santana. Uh, maybe this is kind of out there, but a Danny Duffy, who knows? They have a rough stretch after the all-star break not right after right after the all-star breaks not too bad they got a series with baltimore in there they're not very good but july 26th to september 7th so including the entire month of august every team they play is above 500 right now except for one and that's the seattle mariners and they're not far below 500 and they um, might be bringing up some serious talent at, uh, before too long because yeah a talented farm system so exactly so it's it's going to be a rough stretch there. And the Royals front office is going to have to think about that as they're getting to the end of July. You can't sit there at the end of July with maybe being one or two games above 500 and look at that August schedule and go, we'll be all right. You know, if it stays, assuming everything kind of stays the same and teams don't fall off and things like that, but it's, it's a rough, rough stretch with Houston twice and the Cardinals and the Cubs and the Yankees and the White Sox, it is a rough, rough stretch in August. Yeah, and that's actually, you just uh, sort of expressed my greatest fear for, for the schedule and for what, what's going to take place after the All-Star break. And that is that, like, what if the Royals are hovering around 500 at the end of July, not really in contention, and no one thinks they're going to contend, but close enough that they can delude themselves into thinking that they can contend. And as a result, they do nothing at the deadline. They just hang on to Solaire's contract, hang on to um, Taylor's contract, and just let these guys guys play out, right? Hang on to Benintendi, even though he'll be gone after next year, so you could get way more for him this year than you will next year. Same with Miner, same with Santana. All these guys are prime trade candidates. Here's the calculation. If they think that they can literally compete next year, maybe they hang on to Santana, maybe they hang on, hang on to Benintendi. Either way, they should be trading Solaire. They should be trading Michael A. Taylor. I do not want them to be in a position where they convince themselves that they shouldn't trade those guys. Because even if it's a, for a lottery ticket or a bullpen arm or something like that, those are the things that ultimately you need to complete a roster when you're putting together a competitive team. To just hang on to them and get nothing for them when the year's over, that makes no sense to me. Even though Solaire's not hitting right now, if he picks it up, they could get something for him. Michael A. Taylor, they could get something for him because he's hitting enough and playing great defense. 
they need to be looking to trade. But if their schedule doesn't really set up or allows them to believe that they're going to compete, I worry about that. So, yes, I think what effect will it have, Miller? It will have the effect of what's the Royals front office going to do. And it may put us in a situation where, where we get to a September and it does, we're not playing competitive baseball. When you have, when you're a team like the Royals are and you have an August like that, it may be a far stretch to say we'll be playing competitive games in September. So now we will get to the question that comes in from Mike's wife because it was Mike's anniversary this week. We'll end on a question from his lovely wife, Morgan. Uh, She listens to the show, but she doesn't listen for the baseball content. We want to be real clear about that. She listens around the baseball content. So like anything that's about baseball, she doesn't care about, but she wants to hear weird stuff that we say apparently. And so she asked a great question. Um, What would your walk-up song be if you played in the major leagues? And I did not feed that question to her. That was straight from her. She, she, she knows, she knows what's up. And I can't remember why, how she got onto that. It might've been when we were at the game on Friday. I can't remember, Um, but I'll, I'll kick it off here. Cause you kind of stole mine. You you filled this out before I did. You kind of stole mine, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to go with the mercury by turnpike troubadours. If you don't know who I'm talking about with turnpike troubadours, you need to go check them out. They were a country band. I'm going to say were, are, they're on kind of a permanent hiatus right now, but I think they're going to get back together. Or I permanent hope hiatus. I love. I that. hope they're going to get back together. Um, but they play like a they, you know, maybe call it Red Dirt Country or Americana. They play country music, um, and they put out four phenomenal albums. One of them has a song called "The Mercury" on it. Has a little tempo change, and then it the the line is, uh, "I'm not going anywhere at all. I'm about to hit my stride." That would be the section of the song I use. And it's like a real pumper when it goes, it's like the tempo goes way up when they do that. Like, yeah. So that's, that's what I would use since you stole my original thought. Yeah. The one that I stole, I knew he would probably want as well. Uh, and that is a song that everyone should choose for their walk-up song. And that is Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits. Uh, that's just, I feel like that song was made for as a baseball walk-up song, even though the song is not at all about baseball. It is in fact about a musician and a, I guess a swing band. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not at all, but it, it's just, it's, it's got a nice like tempo okay. to it too. Mark you know, nice little, a phenomenal guitar. Nah, 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 nah. That's what I would, I'd be listening to that riff as I walked to the plate and be fantastic. Um, but I put a second one on here too, because you may know Josh Reddick likes to choose very unusual songs for his walk-up songs. So he Is very he famously. Still playing? Oh yeah. He's still playing. Okay. I think, I, I think he was the one who used careless whisper by wham as uh, as one of his walk-up songs right. <laughs> he throws out these very like poppy unmasculine i guess quote unquote songs and i just love it i love that he's like walking to the plate with this song that nobody would be think of as like a hype song and it's playing and he's like yep i'm ready to play you know so i chose one of, of a josh reddick type song and that's a song called must have been love by uh roxette if you remember that song it was a hit. Mike, do you remember? You know I do not, song? but I, I'm oh, disappointed it, you didn't pick Solar Shadow of Love. But Oh, Solar Shadow of Love was third <laughs> on my list. Uh, Your huge hit from the 80s. This was uh, this was j- coming just behind. Uh, this uh, must have been Love was Solar. Well, <laughs> is that Solar Shadow uh, of Love? How does so Must have m- been Love go? Okay. It must have been in love, but it's, but it's over it's- now. Just like yeah, that. that is yes. a great one. Yeah. 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 We're right. going with that. That's going to be, that's what's going to be playing when I walk up to the, and I'm going to be dancing to it. Like, right. must it be? I'm going to be singing it too. The catcher and the umpire are going to hear me and hate uh, you. Just going into my falsetto, like, must have been love. They're going to love it. 
Um, and so tr- try and be a pitcher and like think seriously about pitching. Who's this when lunatic? You, when you see a hitter like that walk into the into Who the is box, this lunatic singing? He's gonna be so dancing. scared of me. He's gonna be like, this guy cares about nothing because he's singing. Must have been love in front of sixty thousand people. Like I'm in his head. I'm in his head, people. The Royals play two three-game series this week, one against the scolding hot Tampa Bay Rays and the other against the freezing cold Minnesota Twins. I find it interesting that the team that is scolding hot is from Tampa and the team that is freezing cold is from Minnesota. Minnesota, I think, currently owns the worst record in baseball, though they that do. might not be the case. I think they did they get a win today. I forget. I How do they lose um, so much? We'll get there. Th- we're gonna get there. <laughs> um, Mike, you're gonna tell us a little bit about Tampa. Mm. I've set this up perfectly for you. Yeah, let's talk about the scolding hot Tampa Bay Rays. These are extremely uh, maybes on these starting matchups here. But it looks like Keller's gonna go against uh, Ryan Yarbrough, a 29 year old left-handed pitcher, uh, a soft tossing lefty who we've talked about the Royals struggling against. So far this year, he's a really soft tosser. He throws a cutter about 82, 83, throws a changeup, a sinker a little bit harder, but he doesn't throw it quite as much. Uh, But it's cutter and curveball mostly from this left-handed pitcher. And the Royals will face three, possibly three lefties in this Tampa series. The uh, next game looks like it might be Mike Miner and Rich Hill. Rich Hill is old as dirt and has been in the league for a really long time. Been a successful pitcher. Actually, maybe gotten a little stronger in his ability as his uh, years have added up here. Uh, But he's another soft-tossing lefty. His best pitch is his curveball. He's had a big curveball ever since. I think he came up with the Cubs, if I'm not mistaken. One of those big Um, sweeping Barry Zito curveballs. Yeah, it's a big one. But he throws fastball 88 to lower, 88 to 89, 90. So he's going to be a challenge. He's, He's had a really good year so far. And then maybe Singer versus Shane McClanahan, who is also a left-handed pitcher, but he throws harder. So he's going to throw a lot of fastballs uh, in the mid to upper 90s with a good slider. So left-hand dominant. So we got a lot of right-handed hitters, so maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Hands are Alberto's about to get some playing time. Yeah, he is. Um, Yeah, after that comes the Minnesota series. Uh, They're really struggling. They struggled all year. And it's hard to see. baffling to me. Well, what's interesting is if I told you their run differential and the Royals, you'd be like, why do they have such different records? So the Royals have a negative 26 run differential. They've been outscored by 26 runs by their opponents. The twins have a 27, negative 27 run differential, just one run worse than the Royals. And yet the Royals are near 500 and the twins are like 16 and 28 or something. I can it's tell just, you they're 17 it's and 29. A, it's kind of uh, 17 and 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's kind of a luck thing. in that the Royals have had good luck and the twins have had terrible luck. Uh, One Byron Buxton is currently on the 10 day injured list. That's not helping them at all. Um, They've only won five of their last 18. They grabbed a couple wins this week though. So maybe they're starting to turn that ship a little bit. One thing that's hurting them. The only thing that sort of stands out as noticeably worse than the Royals, their reliever ERA is 4.90. They're 25th in the league in reliever ERA. Honestly, if you look at their numbers compared to the Royals, they're better offensively than the Royals. They're better defensively than the Royals. They're roughly the same in pitching. They've just not had the runs at the right time, whereas the Royals have. And so really, we should be thanking our lucky stars that we're not the Twins right now, that we're not sitting at the bottom of the AL Central with the worst record in baseball, virtually. Uh, And so we'll see how that ends up whenever they play. They have a talented lineup. They have Nelson Cruz. They have Miguel Sano. They have, you know, if Buxton is back, we'll see if he's back by then. But they, they can hit the ball a little bit. 
the question is when they get into the later innings where their relievers be able to shut games down. We've seen the Royals take advantage of some of the Tigers relief pitching this week, uh, this last week. Hopefully they can do the same to the Twins uh, when that uh, series comes around. It's going to be a difficult week because the Rays are really, really hot right now. But I would love to see us grab at least two from that Twin series and maybe one. I'd love, what do we got? We got six games this week. If we're three and three, I'm happy at the end of the week. Yeah, same here. Um, I do think those probably aren't the three best pitchers that Tampa can roll out. So, no. you know, maybe if you do happen to get two there, you know, four, let me put it this way. Four is a really good week mm-hmm. this week. If you get four and two, that's a great week for the Royals. But I would be fine with three and three. I am just so surprised by Minnesota because I thought, I thought, I think they're the talent wise, the second best team in, in the Central. But though, boy, they haven't played like it. We'll end this week like we end every week with our Just About Outside segment, where we talk about something that we find interesting outside of baseball. Mike, what do you find interesting outside of baseball this week? I find interesting a TV show called Mythic Quest. Yes, I love so, this show. Uh, and I didn't even know you. This was not a recommendation that Mark gave me, but um, I didn't tell you about the show. No, you didn't. Oh, yeah, it's crazy, right? So, as you know, it's amazing. Everybody was talking up Ted Lasso, right? Like it won a bunch of awards. Everybody was on social media saying, Hey, you got to check out Ted Lasso. So we, you, you even said that to me and I'm like, okay, I'm not, you know, I love, I love Jason Sudeikis. He's from here. Um, yeah, I'll watch it. He's hilarious. So I found out that we kind of had Apple TV and didn't really know it. Go on there, watch Ted Lasso. And they were right. It's a great television show. You should check it out. But the other day, after we got done watching it, I see this show called mythic quest and it's got Rob, McElhenney is that is I'm probably pronouncing that, that sounds right, right. I don't um, know from it's always sunny in Philadelphia another show that I really liked uh and still go back and watch occasionally it's also got the guy who played rickety cricket on there who is oh, hilarious love that shows. guy um but it's got uh the guy that played Abed from Community uh Danny Pudi yep there you go uh he's so a lot of great talent in this show and so I start watching it and it takes place in like a on what is it mmrpg mmorpg is that what they're called that's right i think that's a multiplayer online role-playing game is what it stands for basically these huge nerd games on computers i don't do them i don't know it's like a company that runs that and it's just so funny and different and awesome i highly recommend it it's got at least two seasons because i'm on the second season right now and the guy that plays uh mac from it's always sunny in philadelphia rob mcelhenney is the one of the stars of the show and he's hilarious in it Yes, uh, I absolutely love this show. It, it does. It's, it's actually halfway through its second season right now. So they, they release weekly like Ted Lasso oh, does. Okay, cool. But I'll say that in my mind, and I know Ted Lasso is an amazing show. In my mind, Mythic Quest is just as good. It is really, really good. Uh, I love the lady who plays Piper, the lead engineer. I think she's hilarious on the show. Uh, I don't know the actress's name. Yeah, the 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 Australian poppy, poppy sorry poppy. not piper yeah. poppy her poppy name's poppy Lee, yeah. she's hilarious uh, man that's the character's name i don't know the actress's name but she is hilarious she does an amazing job on the show the show just does a great job like like ted lasso being extremely funny but also in some ways telling stories that seem really important and 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 are great there's just great is great storytelling mixed with a lot of amazing humor i'm going to actually throw a shout out to somebody someplace that nobody is going to know uh in here and uh on the rundown, it just says the blue whale, like I'm shouting out blue whales or something, but that's not it. I want to give a shout out to the blue whale, which is a bookstore 
here in Charlottesville, which is right, right around where I live. I went in there the other day to sell them all my books. It's a used bookstore because I'm moving. I had a whole bunch of books that I didn't need anymore. I went in there to sell them a bunch of books. I also ended up buying a book and a t-shirt and everything like that. Because when I'm in there, I can't not buy a book because the place is amazing. It is an amazing, amazing bookstore. I used to go, Courtney and my girlfriend and I will go in there just as like a date a night or as like a fun thing to do because it is an amazing bookstore. They have, of course, books, but they also have things like really old maps and things like that that they sell in there. These awesome, amazing prints of different things like birds and flowers and things like that. Just really cool, cool store here in Charlottesville. And the owner's a really awesome dude. And he's got an awesome dog who just hangs out in the store all the time. And like we hang out with the dog and, and sit around and read books and things like that. It is one of these places where like I would hang out there on a daily basis if I had nothing to do, right? Like it is that cool and just a fun place to be in. And so if you're ever in Charlottesville and you get a chance to walk in the downtown mall, that's where it's located. Take a step inside the blue whale and uh, and find some just dope books and some awesome maps and, and maybe cool there'll dog. be a and then maybe there'll be a dog just chilling there, uh, hanging out because it is one of the, my favorite places in Charlottesville to be. And I'm about to leave Charlottesville, so I'm feeling very uh, you know uh, sad about missing out on it. But all used bookstores are great, but that one is my absolute favorite in the world. So that's all we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to send us questions. We'll we'll address them in some ways on the show. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. And then most of all, make sure to enjoy Royals baseball. We'll see you next week.